Good morning. It is a joy to be here. I will, uh, I will just, uh, for the people who aren't here today, I will just say this. We were not able to be here last Sunday. And I tell you, uh, it's a good feeling when you miss going to church. And I miss going to church. Somebody, I was with Millersburg Mennonite at the center last weekend, uh, Sunday, and somebody asked about where our church is. And they said, do you think we could do a worship service together? And I smiled and I said, I think we could. And uh, so we'll see what happens about that in the future. Um, they're uh, at a different place than we are, but that's okay. Uh, please turn in your copies of the scriptures to James 1 as we begin a series on James. I, uh, I'm excited about what we're going to learn. I... We want to just, uh, we're going to look at the first 18 verses today and dip into the next portion just a little bit without robbing Brent of his, because I think they are connected. Um, James is probably one of the most maligned books of the New Testament. Uh, Martin Luther did not like James. He called it the straw gospel because he felt like there wasn't enough gospel in it and it was too much about works. At the same time, uh, we, I, I think that it is also true that if we do not, uh, if we do not see a faith that works, it, it's problematic because faith is not something you only talk about. Faith is something that produces something inside you that changes you, as we'll see today. Now, um, we will read, I will read from the ESV. Let me just read the first 18 verses. You follow along in your copies of the scripture. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all my joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like, the wave, like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded person. Unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exultation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, 
He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creature. Now, as we think about the book of James, let me just do a little bit of uh, thought here about that it is written by uh, James. There are three James in the New Testament. Uh, The one that the early church historically has called the author of this is the brother of Jesus. So this is written by the brother of Jesus. Um, any other James would have to identify himself. We, we, we know very, we know something about the brother of Jesus. We know, for instance, that when Jesus was first on earth, his brothers came and said, he's mad. He's a madman. And they wanted to take him away. But somewhere between uh, Jesus, the end of Jesus' ministry, and perhaps as early as the resurrection, uh, James and his brothers, he had, he had uh, two other brothers, uh, there was at least, or three other brothers, I think, and, and sisters. He had, Jesus had half, that, but they're, don't forget, they're half-sisters and half-brothers. And, and so that's the James who's writing. Um, yeah, he had at least three brothers besides Jesus and, and sisters. It is also probably one of the earliest New Testament books written. And that helps us, uh, it, it, it allows us to see the things the early church struggled with. And note it, it's written to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. And sometimes the early church would talk about, by the way, 10 of the tribes are lost by now. They don't know who they are. And so these are Jews who are coming to Jesus, but also Gentiles who are coming to Jesus. So it's written to us. Um, it is safe to say that this book is, is among the most practical of the New Testament books. Others are practical too. But let's just think a little bit about the purpose. The, the youth, uh, the young people, or the children, memorized a portion of James. And I was thinking about that portion of James and thinking about maybe we should say that every Sunday from here on out again. Uh, and I don't have it with me or else we would. We'd, we'd say it. And that was from James 3. And it talks about if any of you, if, if you lack wisdom... And, and also that faith without works. It talks about those two key, key pieces. And that is part of the, the burden of James. He's saying, uh, apparently there were people within the church who were saying, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you live. Now, for those of us who grew up in an environment like, such as we have, any mention of works can be a little problematic. We tend to react to them, to that mention. But let it, it, is, it is safe to say that the New Testament assumes that when somebody becomes a follower of Jesus, something changes in that person, right? He gets a new heart. He gets a new, he's a new creation. And, and we live out of that space. And when we live out of that space, we will act differently and live differently. It's that simple. And if, if those fruits aren't being shown in someone, then we have a right to question whether they, they, they are who they are. So the true faith of Jesus produces fruit. It is also interesting, one just side note about James, he often talks about the fatherhood of God. Who was his father? Joseph. Who was his mother? Mary. Who was Jesus' father? It's, it's like this kind of play saying, the true father of all of us is God, as my brother, half-brother Jesus, knows. And I, I love that piece of it. 
But so today we want to look at this portion and we want to talk about the strength of trials. Notice he says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. So how many of you uh, had something that went wrong this last week? Something that you would like to have a different outcome of this last week? Yeah, all righty, trials. And and, uh, notice he doesn't say, uh, count it all joy when you uh, meet big trials or little trials. And we need to look at what he says here. He says, count it all joy. Uh, now, for many English speakers, joy and happiness are too closely connected. Joy is not happiness. Um, it, it is something much bigger. Uh, happiness comes out of the realm of feeling and emotions. There are times when you're happy and there are times when you're sad. And by the way, it's okay for Christians to be sad. There are things that should make us really sad. Uh, but joy, the words he used here, count, count it all joy, that is actually a, an act of our mind. So it is, it is something about making a decision to, to face trials with joy. Consider it, count it, all joy when you meet trials. Now, uh, and notice what it says, because when you meet those trials, they are actually a testing of your faith. And they will produce something inside you. Now, we very quickly want to get to the end result. Oh, good. Trials happen so I can become what? Note what it says. Trials happen so that you become steadfast. And I want you to notice something. Look in your copies of the scripture. You have to follow along. Uh, look in your copies of scripture and let's read. Let's read the end of verse 4 and let's uh, go down to verse 12 then. So it says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. And so the verses in between uh, are not a different subject. They're an explanatory note about the previous passage. And we've not often read it like that. I haven't. And, and so I think that we need to think about what he says. Okay, so we, we know the end result. The end result is that we're going to be blessed because of the trials we're going through. And, and trials can measure in any way. Um, you know, somebody I thought of in, in preparing for this, how many of you know who Johnny, Johnny Erickson Tata is? I, she has spoken more fully into my life about joy than nearly ever, any other person that I ever met because she has experienced deep pain. She is paralyzed from the neck down. And, and, and so you know her story. But it is out of that that she speaks so powerfully. The Apostle Paul is another person who suffered a great deal. But it, it is much easier. So, so think about the things that you have wrestled with. The things that you have suffered with. And I'm not, I'm not talking about temptation now. We're going to talk about temptation but a little later. But trials. The hard times of life. What is the hardest thing, don't tell us out loud, but what is the hardest thing that you've ever faced in your life? So think about that. So, the hardest thing you've ever faced in your life, they're there, you're supposed to 
look back at that event, and it's, it's important to note that it's looking back, look back at that event and say, boy, that produced, that made me stronger. Now, when you're in the middle of that, it doesn't help people to come up and say, oh, brother, you're going to be much stronger after this. Uh, when people do that, go ahead and kick them in the shins uh, or do whatever you need to do. No, don't. Uh, anyway, but, but they're, they're, they're intending for you to help you see. And, and it is important for us to understand that, that the, the way James writes about this is that we are all going to face hard times. It doesn't, just by the very fact that you are human, you are going to face hard times. And, and the hard times that we face as believers are different than the hard times that unbelievers face. And, and the reason is because the hard times that unbelievers face don't produce anything good in them. So the, the, the ultimate idea here is that in the trials of life, we have options to go one of two ways. We can either get angry with the events that have happened, the injustices that have happened, and they are that. And it makes Jesus angry. But we can get angry and rage and fight against them and say, I'm not going to let this happen. Or we can say, as I walk through this, I'm going to allow the presence of God to shape my life. Now, it is easy for us to say that on the other side of the event. But God wants to build up strength in us and, and so now let's look at the parenthetical notation in verses 5 and 6. It, it, it says, um, the, the two great battles that we face as we meet the trials of various kinds. There are two great battles we face. The first, of all, first one of all is doubt. Note it says, if any of you lack wisdom, and it, this is in direct proportion to facing the trials of life. It's not... Oh, I need wisdom here. I need wisdom in this event. This is about facing the trials of life. If you need wisdom as you face the trials of life, ask God, because he will give you wisdom to see the bigger picture. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, and he is a double-minded person. Uh, uh, I think the, one of the great trials that we face in our lives as we face, one of the great issues we face as we face trials is to, is to doubt what is happening here. To doubt God in the middle of that. Uh, the double-minded man is, is the one who says, uh, who gives lip service, say, I, I believe in God, but, and, and you have pretend to be all together, you don't have any trials, um, uh, my, Matt Chandler said, said we need to stop this veneer nonsense you know what veneer is veneer is when you cover the surface of something to make it look good he said we need to stop that nonsense as Christians because all we're doing is, is doubting the nature and character of God because when we don't admit that we're facing trials in our lives then what we're saying is God is we're doubting God and, and I actually believe that, he, that that is true. Like, we, first of all, we have to admit, in order to get wisdom to face those trials, we have to admit that we have them. So if somebody says, how are you? Now, be careful who you say this, and you say, fine, fine. Can we ask what's behind the fine? 
Fine is one of those great American words that, that uh, covers a multitude of trials. Now, of course, you need to be careful. I, I think James is talking about this in connection to the body of believers that is, that is regularly together, that, that cares for each other. Because he goes on and talks about that later in chapter 5. And he says, when you're suffering, this is what you should do. And, and, but when we can bring our trials together and let our brothers and sisters speak into those things and let them care for us in the middle of those, request prayer. Let them care for us. What we do is we're saying we, we, we are choosing to move away from the doubt that, that plagues us. So doubt is the first thing. The second thing uh, is comparison. Note in verse 9, this never made sense until I read it like this. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Uh, also the rich will fade away. You know, this is kind of saying you have the rich and the poor and, uh, and we're all equal in the middle of this. So let the lowly brother boast in the fact that he gets the opportunity to have trials and let the rich guy say, doesn't matter how much money I have, I'm going to have trials. And what will I do in the middle of that? And uh, by the way, uh, I don't know where I got this, but uh, I thought this was really good. Um, Comparison is so easy to do. Uh, Just start scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or social media. And uh, you'll find out that everybody's marriage is awesome. And their kids are incredible. And they're just sitting home counting their money. And uh, there's no pain and there's so, and no sorrow. <laughs> you get that? I, I thought about it yesterday. I don't know why. I was looking at Facebook yesterday. And I thought, you know what I should paste on Facebook? If I only had more money and less work, I would be a much happier person. I thought, why do I want to say that on Facebook? And I thought the fact that most people on there are saying that very same thing. But, you know, it's so easy for us to think, well, they're not facing trials. And what God is saying here is, you know, if you're rich or you're poor, don't worry about it. Actually, do something different with it. We're all created equal. Um, Here is how I face my uh, trials. Um, Honey, is there ice cream in the freezer? Um, uh, Wait, what's on Netflix? Could I binge watch something on Netflix or... uh, um, and then, then, you know, this process begins. God, why did you give them children and us not have any children? Uh, God, why, if they're, if they're not going to take care of their children anyway, uh, why did you give them those children? And, and you know, it's just, this, it just goes on and on. And, and I begin to doubt the goodness of God, and I begin to compare myself to others. And when we are facing trials in life, and you all will, that is the questions that you need to ask. Am I doubting? Am I comparing? And, and we need to actually move to the big picture. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Or the person. Blessed is the person who remains steadfast under trial. For when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life. When we can understand and move back and say these trials, and I'm talking about things put upon us. Not the temptations that come from within, but things put upon us. When we face them and we see God, you're doing something here. We actually can step back and we can develop strength. And we become de- develop maturity and we develop wisdom. And trials, those, those times, if you never had any uh, urge to, be, to binge watch Netflix and eat ice cream, if you never faced any trials, how aware would you be of your need for God? 
you could kind of live your life just as Facebook and Instagram show it. Everything's good and nice. So we, we develop strength when we move away from doubting the nature of God and we move away from comparison to embracing the things that God has given us and seeing them as a gift. Now, it's hard to do in the middle of it. I understand all that. But then he goes on and he says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted from God. Now, uh, in, in, in verse 3, uh, verse 2 he uses the word trials. Here he uses the word tempted. And the word tempted here is the same word, and you have to figure out what it means by its, uh, its context. And in this case, he's obviously not talking about trials. He's talking about temptations. And I think that um, if I ask people, what is your greatest temptation? And they say, oh, I don't really have any. I kind of want to say, <clears throat> are you dead? Are you dead? So, so note what he says here. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Okay, now the temptation he's talking about here is the allurement to sin. It's not trials of life, but it's the allurement to sin. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted from God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. That's a pretty big mouthful for James to say. But each person is tempted. Now, oh, each person... Everyone, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Hmm. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings death. Notice the whole cycle here. Lure, entice, conceive, give birth, grow, and death. It's that entire cycle. And it is worth us thinking a little bit about what this means. Now, this is different. This is, he's starting a new idea. He's saying, okay, when you face the hard times of life, this is how you should act. When you face the allurement of your own heart. And notice it says, by your own desire. And, and by implication, we can think evil desire. And so he is saying that all of you have an individual evil desire inside you that moves you to want to act a certain way when, that, when you feel the lure of that. Now this is really interesting because the words that he used here, lure and entice, are hunting words in, in the scriptures. The, the lure means to entice an animal out of its hiding place. So um, last night it thundered. And uh, when it thunders, my dog has evil desire. And, and I could not find him right away. And here he had hidden behind the toilet. What an awful place to hide behind. It, it snuck in behind the toilet in our, in our bath. And I thought, how do I get him out of there? And I said, oh, come Theo. Come Theo. And I, I lured him out of there with the thought of a treat. And he came and I held him. Okay, It's, it's that same word. You kind of lure an animal out of its lair. And then it says entice. And this, this word means to catch with bait. So you lure it out and then you catch it with bait. 
treat, treat. And, and it's, it's that same way that it's the same process that happens inside of us. And I'm, I'm, we often um, equate this with, for instance, sexual lust. It's not just that. It's the whole scope of evil desire that resides in humanity. It can be lust. It can be anger. It can be, uh, or anger, is, uh, there is a truly righteous anger. But let's say malice, hatred. Those kinds of things that reside in all of us. And all of us are programmed through, uh, through nature and through nurture. The way, we've, the way what we were born with, the evil DNA that we got from Adam. And the genetics that we got from our family. And, on the other hand, the things that have shaped our early life. It could be trials that we face that we didn't respond to correctly. All those things. But those things all live within of us. And it has the idea that the evil one comes along and he lures that space out of us. And he says, oh, and then it catches us. And, and James is saying that when, when, you, when you are facing this space, you need to do something different. Now, if, lest you think this is just James, Paul talks about the very same thing in 1 Corinthians 10. In 1 Corinthians 10, uh, listen as I read this to you. Therefore, lest anyone, let anyone who thinks that they stand take heed lest they fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So the one that you face every time something comes up, and I could tell you mine, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to yet. Uh, maybe someday I will. Or if you ask me personally, we can talk about it. But, but all of us have a different one because what happens is if I tell you mine, then it's easy for you to assume that yours is like mine, and then you say, oh, well, I'm just not quite as bad as him. Let me, let me tell you, you are all really bad people because the, the p- power and potential of this resides in you. First uh, Corinthians 10. Therefore, let anyone who, th- who thinks that they stand take heed lest they fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. And when I looked at that passage, I got really excited. Because it says, the way of escape. And when I looked at the Greek wording of that, it is a singular uh, noun with, an, uh, with the makes it specific. There is only one way of escape. Paul is saying here, and James does too, there is only one way of escape. And, and as believers, we have been provided with the, the way of escape. Think about this. We have been provided the way of escape with the, the hard times and trials of life. We have been provided with the way of escape when we face the temptations that life throws at us. So, so he's saying uh, there is a way of escape. It is the same. And it is through something. He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So if someone, if someone tells me or someone tells you, I have these temptations and I just can't overcome them. Then we need to talk. We need to talk about what's going on inside of you because Jesus has provided the way of escape. God has provided the way of escape. And by the way, the way of escape is not a set of rules. It is not... 
more discipline because some of the most highly disciplined people in the world are simply living out of the lusts of their, and we see them as highly disciplined, are simply living out of the lust. So, so it's not a set of disciplines. You don't need to memorize more Bible, although you should. It is a person, and that is the powerful piece of this. Whenever the Bible talks about this, it nearly always goes to the, the very next words. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creature. We are, that, that is the answer right there. The answer is right there. It is, it is the fact that God is faithful and God does not change and that we are birthed by God. That is so powerful. It's so simple. It's way too easy. We have the answer. So when you face the trials of life, the, te- the hard things, he is faithful. He doesn't change. And eventually he will bring justice to our world. When you face the temptations of your own heart, he is faithful. He does not change. And you are a product of his creation. Note that very carefully what it says there. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That's not talking about creation back in the garden. That's talking about the new creation of God's people and God's family. Of his own will, he gave his son because he loved the world so much. And his son died for our sins that you could be born again. I want to just move forward, and I don't want to steal from the next passage, but I want us to think about this. He talks about um, that, that we should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Therefore... Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Implanted word. It's the only time that this word is used in the New Testament. Implanted word. And again, this is not the Bible. It just is not the Bible. By the way, the Bible doesn't save you. And knowing the Bible doesn't save you. Jesus himself told the Pharisees, you know the truth and you think you're going to be delivered by your knowledge of the scriptures. The scriptures cannot deliver you, only I can deliver you. The implanted word is the living word, Jesus Christ, deep inside our souls. And that's the only way that the written word makes any sense at all. So, you want to build strength? You want to become a strong believer? When you face the trials of life, remember that God is faithful. When you face the temptations of your own heart, don't give in. Remember, He is light. There is no shadow in Him. One of the things that I thought about as I was 
studying about this is a quote that I have often used, Rabbi Zachariah, I think I got it from him. He said, the antidote to the poison of lust and addictions is worship. Think about what people do in their own heart when they lust. It doesn't have to be sexual lust. It can be lust after money. It can be lust after this or lust after that. And the, the answer to addiction. What is it that people who abuse drugs and alcohol and food and every other thing, ice cream and, oh sorry, I shouldn't have said ice cream. Okay? Do you, do you, when we feel that urge to just eat to feel full, it's our hearts craving something much bigger than ourselves. It's our hearts craving worship. And, and I don't know what worship looks like for you. It's individual, I think. But how can we worship when we face those moments? The antidote to all these things is to understand who God is, what He's doing inside you, and to worship, to simply worship. So last night when I felt like binge-watching uh, something and eating ice cream, or uh, it wasn't last night, it was an earlier night this week, because I was feeling sad, I unfortunately went and ate an ice cream bar. But I, it was okay. One was probably okay. But as your heart feels those things, it's often in those moments that we give in to the temptations. And what our hearts really want more than those things, more money, more intimacy, more anything, is worship and, and the true intimacy that comes as we worship Jesus. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that we would be the kind of people who build strength, who build strength in those moments when we face the awfulness, the reality of this present world, and we face the hard times, the death, the suffering, the abuse, the sadness. When we face those things, help us to step back not compare ourselves to others and not doubt your goodness. And when we face our own hearts whispering its seductive tones saying, ah, just a little bit. That we would stop the luring and enticing and say, let me worship. Help us to find the space, the time, the energy to worship. And help us to understand that worship is not just something that happens Sunday morning. It happens as I read, as I drive, as I move about my life. That we take moments where we stop and say, God, you are good. God, you are faithful. God, you are without shadow. God, you are my creator. You know me. I pray that in those moments, in those times, we can reach out to you. In Jesus' name, amen. May I stand? You are dismissed. <laughs>